Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, since 2008, kids at all Pittsburgh public schools had an assurance that if they attended class and got decent grades, they'd get a scholarship to go to college or trade school. Last week, the officials behind those gifts told parents via a one-page letter that the money is almost out and the Pittsburgh promise will sunset by 2028. Today, we're talking about why. It's Monday, September 25th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. I'm with Mary Niederberger, who's been reporting on our city school system and this scholarship program for a very long time. Welcome back, Mary. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. I know you were covering the district in 2006 when the Pittsburgh Promise was first proposed. What was happening in the city and the school district then that folks thought, you know what, let's try this? The idea was to provide a wonderful opportunity for kids um, to make sure that they headed towards some kind of higher education, whether it was trade school or college, and also to really support the Pittsburgh schools, have some incentive for people to keep their kids in the public schools and it, and it really Because worked. we were having a big like city retention problem, like Pittsburgh population was going down. They were worried about that. That's correct. Absolutely. So did it work? Did the scholarship program keep families in Pittsburgh, boost graduation rates, get more kids to consider college, things like that? Absolutely. And the big thing that they worked really hard on in those early years, um, what they found in the beginning is that the minority students were not qualifying or were not pursuing it. And they really worked um, to get those kids into the program. Because the requirements were a 2.5 GPA and 90, 90% attendance, which Pittsburgh Public has had a chronic absentee problem for years and years and years. So a lot of these kids, a 90% attendance rate is just not feasible for their family situation. Right. They actually, I believe, even instituted a um, like a forgiveness program on the attendance. I can't remember how it worked. But they, they hit the mark on all the things that they wanted to do. It's it's just that's not going to continue. And that's very sad. Do you remember uh, in those early years talk of a specific end date? Not in the early years, not in the early years. Um, well, 2015 is the first year they started talking about um, that. They really felt like more money was going out than was coming in. And at that point, they had enough to fund through 2028 that they had just gotten, they just had a big fundraising push. And had it not been for that, it would have been ending in 2022, but it was 2028. But they, they were always saying that this is where we're at now, but we are hoping to continue to fundraise. and We're hoping to be able to continue it beyond then. So this letter seems so abrupt. 
That's what I've been hearing from folks, too, is that, you know, all these stories, including your own, talk about an uncertain future. But it wasn't there was no fine point put on it. It was we're funded through 2028, but we want to keep going was always the subtext of that. And then this letter comes out and the language of it is framed as an important reminder that the program was always meant to help just one generation. And it's very clear, um, no matter what maybe they knew on the inside, that they did not disseminate that message clearly to kids or their families. I think that's been the shock factor over the last few days. Absolutely. Um, And the other thing that I thought about when I saw this um, is, you know, the promise has been very uh, cooperative with the media Uh, over the years. I attended a number of events like they would do annual reports and they'd make a big deal and they'd report to the community. They used to be a pretty big dog and pony show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they every year they did. when the kids graduated, they had letter signing day, you know, they'd have these big events where the kids would go and say what school they were going to. So I am a little perplexed that there wasn't a, at least a press release or some explanation to the media about where they were mm-hmm. in their fund and in, in the fact that this was going to end. I, I, I really, I'm really surprised at that. Um, but let me take a minute here and just say this. It's hard to criticize the Pittsburgh Promise because I think they've raised like 170 million over the years. Uh, they've provided scholarships for more than 11,000 graduates. It's been wonderful and life changing for the families that got to participate in it. There just aren't enough words to say about that. But that's why it's so heartbreaking for the families now who are not going to be able to participate. Yeah. What do you think the impact is going to be for the families that did receive these letters that now are going to have to maybe make other arrangements for college if if that's in their future at all? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is, so since this is in effect till 2028, it's going to be five years before we see whether or not, you know, attendance rates go down and 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 grade point average goes down. Because these kids that are in grade school, I don't think those grade point averages are counting. Um, But I think the very first impact you're going to see is very likely that people will not have an incentive to stay in the city, or at least to stay in the city schools. And the city school system didn't have any comment on this, no response to some media outlets, no comment to others, um, including us. Um, it's strange to me that we're not hearing from the school district that its primary funding source for kids post-graduation is gone. Well, thank you for saying that, because now I don't have to say that. <laughs> well, and of course, all of this is coming on top of what's happening with our education system federally. The COVID relief for student loans program is expiring. So no more loan extensions, no federal loan forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. This is coming at a time when student loan debt is at an all-time high. And so now these kids who don't get the promise, if they do go on to higher education, are probably going to join the ranks of people right now who have such student loan debt that they can't buy houses. You know, they can't pay their bills. Well, and Mary, you suggested that we reach out to James Fogarty. He's the executive director of the school district's main watchdog group, A-plus schools. We'll have a little conversation with him after the break. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art? Eat gourmet snacks? People watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. James, thank you for hopping on a call. First and foremost, how are you feeling with this news? Yeah, I mean, I guess what's interesting to me is I, this isn't news, at least to me. Like, I, I don't know. I've I've known for a while that the promise was sunsetting um, and that 2028 was its was its last year. So that was, I think what's interesting is like when the letter, you know, started circulating on social media, it was like, what's going on? How is this happening? I was like, guys, I think... I think they were the, the the board of the promise and the promise folks told us this, right? <laughs> I thought we knew this already. I mean, maybe you did. If I take a hard look at the news stories from way back, yes, I, I agree. There were signs, but I don't think people and certainly not parents took that to mean that it's definitely ending. Not right now and definitely not through a letter home with kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, granted, I'm inside this stuff and I'm thinking about it. And so, yeah. I'd already kind of said to my wife and to our kids, like, that's not a thing we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be able to take advantage of. That's okay. Let's think about what we need for us to, to make sure you can get to college. And then also what do we do to support other kids in our community? So yeah, there was always going to be sort of the rip the bandaid moment. Um, and I think, you know, I thought, we're I here. thought we'd have ready, but I guess we're here for, for lots of others who, you know, are just, you know, now understanding it. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that was always really special and different about The Promise is that it gave people hope that, you know, if they make it this far, it's an incentive, right? Like if you make it through 12th grade, then you've got at least this one thing, this one barrier is removed. Right. What kind of impact do you think losing that is going to have for kids? I think we're going to have to find other incentives, right? We're going to have to find other opportunities and do a better job of aggregating all those opportunities so that there's not this information asymmetry that only those with wealth and the ability to hire a like secondary college counselor are, are know about those opportunities, right? I think the, the other thing is we've got to work together as a community to make school right now a place where kids want to be, where they thrive and they have the supports they need to succeed, right? Coming out of the pandemic, we know Right. One of the promised goals was you had to have 90 percent attendance. Right. It was like you couldn't be chronically absent um, if you wanted to get the promise. And you had to have a 2.5 if you wanted to have the full promise. You know, that's still a goal we have to reach. And it's still a goal that far too many of our students aren't able to meet. Right. And part of that is not just about sort of that end goal for kids, but it's about today. Right. Is it about is school safe? Is school a place where I belong? Is school a place that engages me? Is school a place that I see as relevant? 
And is there someone at that school building that's making sure I've got the supports I need if I'm falling behind? Um, that to me is the challenge, right? It's like, how do we make today matter so that tomorrow takes care of itself? I guess I want to step back just for a second. You know, this program was created because of some pretty massive donations on the part of UPMC and others, $100 million from UPMC alone, which the promise led by Executive Director Salim Gabriel was supposed to match. They didn't. And they said way back when that if they had, maybe this whole thing could have sustained itself. But so if you're looking at this and the donations that they got and that our local philanthropic community has decided that they don't want to give any more, what does that say to you? Do you think our foundations are saying that they don't think college is a good investment anymore? Man, you're asking me to speak for for folks. I, not speak I, you know, for, but like you swim yeah. in these circles. You, are, you, yeah, you yeah. may not be making I, the decisions, but you are in the room a lot of the time. I, mean, I think there is, I do think there is this question, right? If you look at some of the work that's being done to analyze college costs and return on investment, right? I think... I've seen some stuff out of Chicago on this. There's some national stuff on this. I do think there is this question around like, if I go, right, there, it, it used to be the thought was, okay, there's a pretty straight line between my degree and earnings potential, right? And that that still exists, right? So we're, I don't think people have gotten rid of that. But I do think there's this question around like, you know, especially with for-profit colleges that have taken a ton of money from kids, and have not turned out, it's not turned out to be, be a boon for them. Um, I think there is this question around not the value of college, but like, what's the right way to do it? Especially if you're first in you know, your first generation, first in family, you're also not coming with a lot of extra cushion in terms of wealth. Going to college is an expensive endeavor. And so how do we make that work for kids and families that, you know, might be struggling or experiencing some economic disadvantages. And I don't, I don't think the sunsetting of the promise is a statement that college doesn't matter. I do think it's a statement of what the initial intent of this was to retain population, um, maybe isn't as important. And we need to be looking at other more targeted vehicles to create equity in our communities and really focus resources on those who need them most. Um, And I think there's pretty universal agreement across lots of our foundations that we need to be doing better by children in poverty. We need to be doing better by working moms. We need to be doing better by black and brown families in our communities, right? And I think that that consensus is leading to looking at investments like the promise, which were much more universal with an eye towards like, how do we make this about equity and what do we do to make these these types of investments more equitable? Yeah, I'm just, I mean, as one, um, I'm not in the Pittsburgh public school system, but I mean, I've got a, a kid in Gen Alpha and it's it's interesting to see where the investment goes. Like, how are people betting on this next generation that won't be eligible for this? They'll be the young ones where as a society are we expecting them to go? Like, where are we putting our money? Yeah, right. And like, does that, I mean, does the call for free or no cost community college, does that have an impact on things like the promise, right? Because there are certain head, you know, headwinds that we're seeing in the national policy realm around like, wait, we could make 
college free. Right? Like we could actually afford to do that for kids. Well, sure. If college is free, bring it on. But in the absence of that, it's kind of frustrating to not only see our local foundation community say, "Okay, this universal scholarship isn't doing enough for us. It's not meeting our needs. And then the state is acknowledging that they aren't doing a good enough job either. They're not funding schools equitably, but they're not going to put any urgency on fixing that. In the meantime, here are some grants, which is now what it sounds like the foundations are talking about, more grants. Doesn't that bug you, these stopgap measures in the form of grants? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I just think about the child tax credit and the fact that we had, we have child poverty just by the way we distributed monies that we knew families with kids needed (laughs) you know it's like here's what we're going to do we're going to make this structurally easier for you and oh lo and behold we we have child poverty and and the fact that we chose not to do that to continue that program knowing that it was having the desired effect i.e reducing child poverty is totally frustrating Mm -hmm. you know when i think about like a property tax-based system for you know funding schools that then is in a bifurcated 500 district state. Like, that's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating that we have these like huge disparities between communities. So yeah, I, uh, I, I totally am frustrated by the fact that we have systemic inequity and racism and we choose not to deal with it. And instead, funders have to come in when community leaders say, like, here's a need, it's not being filled, it's a stopgap, and we'll keep fighting on the policy side to, to fix it. I don't want Gen Alpha or anyone who comes after them, Beta, I don't know where we're headed, um, to be saddled <laughs> with the same stuff we were. Like, being a millennial at the moment we were going to college or Xer, like, you kind of got taken advantage of. You just did. Um, the student debt crisis is what it is because of that. Yeah, I mean, I fought for, I mean, in the 90s, I was in D.C. fighting for, you know, expansion of student loans, right? Because we thought if we just had more, you know, freely available student loans and grants from the federal government, you know, we thought, okay, if the, you had more access, you could you could equalize college, you could get, you could democratize this a little bit. And so it's not just for elite kids, right? Does well, that feel a little bit like a Pandora's box now? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we funded, we added funding and colleges. Yeah, you, you you did what you set out to do. <laughs> but do you feel great about that now? No, I mean, I wish, but like the flip side is like at the time, right? When you're thinking about what it is that students needed. Um, and this is what I'm at. A, I was a college student, right? I was like, man, if if there was just additional dollars that we could tap into that were both subsidized and or just grant money, um, that we could expand those those programs, could we get to a place that was more equitable? And I'm giving you a hard time, but you know, I, no, I recognize that if like the the universities had not also made their bills so much more, then maybe the loans, just loan expansion would have worked. Right. Right. Like I mean again, the theory was, you know, you'd see inflation at universities that would track with the rest of the economy, right? <laughs> like you didn't you didn't expect like 200% inflation in college tuition. True, true. 
Well, so I've heard you in the past be pretty complimentary of the promise and the folks behind it, including Salim, who's been there from the start. We spoke with a reporter who covered the inception of all of this, Mary Niederberger, who said the same. But I want to challenge you a little bit. Do you think if Salim Gabriel or others who were helping behind the scenes had been able to do more, to fundraise more, that the promise could have kept going? Like, in your mind, is that a factor at all? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I, I would, I hope you're able to talk to Celine, uh directly. I would love to, if you want to tell him to call us. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> we um, did reach out. Okay, good. Uh, you know, I, I will say, um, you know, as someone who does fundraising, it's super hard. I think it, hindsight being what it is, um, if you think about like how, how it was structured from jump, like it was always going to be hard to fundraise for a universal program. And I think like one of the things that, you know, as someone who's folk as, you know, we're focused on equity, I know they are too, but it's like a universal program means that folks who don't necessarily need the money got the money. And that means that you ran down your endowment faster as a result. To me, like, yeah, could there have been uh, better fundraising? Yeah, probably. I don't know. But like, that's, look, I couldn't do what he's done. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm tr- I trust as someone who's fundraising for, for my organization and for what we're trying to get done in terms of getting kids to school every day. I know how incredibly difficult it is and of the fundraisers i know in this town not he's one of the best if not the best i mean I, I have a hard time imagining anyone better suited to raising the money for the program as it was designed james fogarty thank you so much yeah of course of course happy to do it we heard from Pittsburgh Public Schools as we were finishing up this episode. District officials said via email that they started announcing this when the class of 2028 were in kindergarten. In the meantime, work with the Promise organization will continue through that date and even beyond 2028, and that they're looking to the public sector to, quote, commit to a sustainable policy solution for funding post-secondary education in Pennsylvania. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell a friend, rate us, leave us a nice review, and make sure you're subscribed to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you in soon. It's great. I love it. Lots of brain power.